Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's close our eyes and let's just thank you, thank the Lord for His Word. Father, we thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Father, we thank you for the victory of the cross. Father, that it never gets old. Father, the one major, the most major significant moment in history was that day. The cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Father, we love you and we thank you for anointing your word. And I pray for those who, who feel far off that they would feel your love today. They, feel, they would feel the great measures that you took to commune with us. And everyone said, amen. I want you to go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to give you about four or five scriptures today. This is a break from our normal series that we've been on. We've been on a series called Instruments of Change. It's been powerful. But today is Resurrection Sunday, so I want to give hope to people. I want you to follow along in your tablet. I want you to follow along in your Bibles. Today I actually bought my physical Bible, glory to God. And uh, so there's nothing like turning those pages sometimes, you know. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you're there, verse 12, say amen. I feel an expectation. I feel eagerness. I feel the Lord wants to do something today. I'm telling you, that you are, you're here for a reason, my friends. God wants to encounter you. Now look at what Paul the Apostle says in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection, hear me guys, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. Look at verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, I need you to hear this, then our preaching is empty. Come on. Our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. Say, my faith is empty, and preaching is empty, without the crucifixion and resurrection. Look at what this, look at verse 14 again. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. Look at, jump down now to verse 16. Verse 16 says, for, the, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. Verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Watch this. You're still in your sins. If Christ did not rise, he says, your faith and my faith is absolutely futile. That word futile means pointless, not even trying, not even starting. It is pointless. If Christ did not raise from the dead, our faith is futile, our preaching is empty, and you and I are still in our sins. But this morning, that is not a reality. This morning, we are realizing that our faith is anchored in a risen person, in a risen Christ, who intentionally came on the earth for such a time as this and such a purpose of this. Imagine your whole mission when you are alive is that your whole calling is to come on the earth and know that one day you're going to be brutally tortured and you know everything about how it's going to be and you still go through it because of your great motivation that brought you and the motivation is the love that you have for humanity. Now let me tell you something. Many of you have kids and, 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 and you have daughters or sons. Many of you, probably all of you, all of you would never give your son or your daughter to be brutally tortured for someone else. Nobody would. But the father did. And I'm here to tell you the greatest event of all of Christendom, the greatest event of all of Christianity hung in that moment that Jesus went on the cross and he died and he suffered and he rose again. As a matter of fact, the greatest moment of my life and the greatest uh, and the worst moment of my life has to do with the topic of sin and the reality of the, of the cross. Why? Because the worst 
moment of my life and your life is when we were trapped by the clutches of sin. How many can say amen to that? The worst moment that you and I could ever have in our life is when you remember or even currently know the effects and the traps that the jaws of sin has on you. The greatest, the greatest moment of our lives is when we were free from those clutches. When Jesus, by his blood and his cross, no matter how far you were gone, no matter how deep you were, no matter how filthy you were, the greatest moment is when you said, Jesus, I repent for my sins because you paid it all. Come into my life. And you felt the breath of God come into your life. That is the greatest miracle. I've seen people come out of wheelchairs. I've seen people get healed, even in this church. But the greatest miracle is salvation. And salvation can only be possible because Jesus died and rose again on the cross. The only way. The only way that we could get salvation is not by good works. It's by what Jesus did on the cross. Now, why did he have to come to earth? A couple of reasons. To experience what we experience as human beings. The Bible says he was in all points tempted, yet without sin. So he had to identify with humanity. He came to turn us from death, from turn us from sin. But I love this. Watch this. Not only to forgive us from sin. His passion to go to the cross to get brutally tortured like no other human being was, it was, was to have free access for human beings to fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit again. His passion to go on the cross was to restore fellowship with humanity. Without any ritualistic sacrifices, it's like he had to come as a man to save humanity. You have to understand that. You know, I look at Enrique now, I'm, I'm thinking about the encounters that we used to do. The, the encounters that, that we used to do with these young people, and I talked about the cross. I remember sharing a story years ago about an ant. And, and so listen, you know, for, for years, here's God saying, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And we're having to do all these, you know, real, ritualistic things in the old covenant to try to get near to God. And, 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 and there was a lot of duties. And, and so we're, the God is like, no, you're going the wrong way. And we would fail all the time. So it's like us talking to an ant. Have you ever tried talking to an ant? Don't try. People think you're dumb. Don't, <laughs> don't look at, don't talk. Like, ant, what are you doing? Try talking to an ant. And, and, and it's, you see an ant and it's going down the cliff and you're like, you're going the wrong way. And you put your hands on, in the, on the floor like, no, you stop. And just, the ant just goes right over your hand and it just goes right over your body. And you're like, no, it's not understanding. Well, the only way you could reach the ant is if you could become an ant. And you, you become like an ant and you say, hey, listen, you've been going the wrong way for all these years. Follow me. This is the right way. Jesus had to become a human being. He had to become a man so that he could speak the human language and say, hey, listen, you've been going the wrong way for years. You've been empty for years. You've been searching for years. You've been looking for years. You've been trying to fulfill a longing for years. But I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus had to become a man to be crucified to identify with humanity. Can I hear an amen? Now, the cruci- uh, because we didn't have a, a good Friday service, I want to take you on a journey of what Jesus actually did so you could appreciate the salvation you have. Because my friends, my brothers, my sisters, your salvation, the way that you love your life in the Lord did not come at a cheap price. It came at the highest price of heaven. Heaven went bankrupt to release the Son of God to humanity. Heaven gave everything it had for us as human beings. And you have to understand that the crucifixion was a Roman form of torture that was designed specifically on purpose to inflict as much pain as possible before the victim died. 
It was designed on purpose to bring extreme torture and extreme pain in the crucifixion. And in order for us to understand our salvation and that he's risen, hear me now, this is important. Some of you are going to get uncomfortable, but you need to embrace this. You need to embrace the cross. Paul the Apostle said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith for the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Can I hear an amen? So in order for you to understand the resurrection, I need you to biblically understand this, the cross. Now, I want you to look at me. I'm going to go through each step of the cross. And each point and step of the cross was symbolic of something that Jesus restored to humanity. Are you ready? Now, it's going to be a long scripture, but I want you to turn to Mark chapter 15. If you're there, say amen. Mark chapter 15, and I want you to look at verse 6. Oh, this is so good. Mark chapter 15, verse 6, and everyone said. Now, here is the journey of the cross. Now, verse 6 says something uh, it's powerful and it's very prophetic in the, in the following verses that I'll just touch on. But I want you to see the cross and I want you to embrace the cross even if it's painful. Because I want you to see what he did for you. Verse 6, now at the feast, Jesus was accustomed to, I mean, so he, uh, Pontius Pilate was releasing a prisoner to them, whoever they requested. Verse 7, and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels that they had committed murder in the rebellion. Now, Barabbas was a very known, notorious criminal. He was a criminal. He deserved to be in prison. He, he murdered people, and he was supposed to be in prison, okay? He was a thief. He was a murderer. And, they, and, and verse 8 said, the multitude said, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he has always done for them. They would trade places. Once a year, they would trade places. A prisoner would be released, my goodness, that is so prophetic of me and you. You know why? Because standing in this room today, me and you are Barabbas. We're the ones who were filthy and in prison and did not deserve salvation. And Jesus came and said, I'll take the place of the prisoner. I'll take the place of the sinner. I'll take the place of the one who doesn't deserve love. Now, I don't want you to continue to reading. Look at what it says in verse 9. But Pilate answered and said, do, not, do you not want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. I want to remind you of something very significant. It was a quote unquote church that was screaming that out. It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees. It was those who knew the law and studied scripture and said crucify him. Boy, that could preach today in America. And they said crucify him. And Pilate said what evil has he done? But they cried out the more crucify him. So Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd released Barabbas to them and he delivered Jesus after he was scourged to be crucified. Verse 16. I'm going to go through verse 24. Then the soldiers led Jesus away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute 
and hail, say, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck Jesus on the head with a reed and spat upon him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked Jesus, they took the purple off of him and his own clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and he was commanded out of the country and passing by to bear Jesus' cross with him. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink that he did not take. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. And everyone said, I want you to see this. The reason why I gave you this scripture, and it was long, because I wanted you to see the detailed journey that Jesus went through for us to be sitting in America, lifting up our hands, thanking God for eternal life and salvation. You have to realize that Jesus not only went through physical torture, but he went through, he went through emotional torture torture, emotional pain, because before the cross even had, I want you to go to a journey with me, if you will, right now in your mind, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the journey. So Jesus started coming in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus began to pray to the Father, but here's the interesting thing. As Jesus was preparing for, for uh, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was right around the corner, and he began to pray, and he said, Lord, if it's possible, pass this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But the Bible says that big Drops of blood started coming down Jesus' forehead. And that wasn't figurative. That was something that scientists and medical experts now say that it is when the sweat glands and the, and the blood glands, the blood vessels, go, get together under rare form of extreme stress and pressure. When someone is under extreme stress and pressure, instead of sweating sweat, they sweat blood. And Jesus was in such emotional agony that as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to do what he was going to do for all humanity, he was under such painful stress and knowing the result of rejection for the first time, that blood mixed with his blood uh, uh, glands and he began to sweat blood. And I'm here to tell you that although that happened, he could have stopped it at any time. You want to know what real love is? Having the ability to stop something and still not do it because of the great love he has. You say, how can, how do you know that he could have stopped it? Because in that same story, if you read in other gospels, Peter, I love Peter, he got bold when the people started coming and arresting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, my man got a sword, and he, I actually read a, a, a theological study on this. I believe Peter was going for his head. He was actually going to kill the guy, and he missed. I don't think he was aiming for the ear. That's a pretty good uh, marksman if he just does the ear. No, he was aiming for his head. He's, he was about to kill that guy that just started to get, arrest Jesus. But he missed, and he cut off the dude's ear. But watch this. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus in agony said, Peter, Put that sword away. Don't you think that I can now call my father? And watch this. He will send me 12 legions of angels to help me. He says, don't you realize that I have to do this for humanity? And Peter was like, no, you don't have to do this. 
And you know what you know what a legion is, guys? A legion in those times, according to history, was a Roman fleet of about 6,000 people or troops. So when Jesus said, don't you think I could call 12,000, I mean, sorry, 12 legions of angels, you know what that means? What's 12 times 6? I believe it's 68,000 angels would have appeared in a moment. 68,000 angels would have appeared in a moment if Jesus said, now, Lord. Did I get the math right? <laughs> I could tell by your face. See, I was testing you. Good job, RCC. I knew it. You could tell I didn't pass math, right? Everyone was like, amen, pastor. <laughs> Whatever, 72,000, right? <laughs> okay. 72, that's a spoil the moment right there. 72,000 angels, even more. Because, watch this, he had all authority. Say all authority. And so he knew what he was going to happen. And now watch this, emotional, before the pain. I'm going to talk about the emotional pain. Not only was Jesus emotionally bruised, but you know what? Are you ready for this? Then, you know what they took him next? They took him to the temple, the church. And when they took Jesus to the temple, they began to blindfold him, and they began to spit on him, and they began to say, prophesy who hit you and who struck you. Can I say something? Even the church rejected the Messiah. He went to the temple, where it's symbolic of today, of the church, the gathering place of the people of God. And the people of God could not see it. And they spat upon it. And they, and they mocked him. Can I tell you something? The emotional pain that Jesus had to go through was, was sometimes, was already set before the physical pain. The, the pain of rejection. The, the pain that he knew that he's going to be sin for all humanity. And for a brief moment in time, the father, the father had to become separate from that for a brief moment of time until sin was accomplished through, in Jesus. He became a curse for us because the Bible says, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So in the Old Testament, he became a curse so that we don't have to live under the curse. Oh, man. But now, once you, you, you know who knew this? You know who knew this th- uh, about Several hundred years before this, the prophet Isaiah saw the brutality of the spirit of, uh, of, of what happened to Jesus. He saw it. Look at Isaiah 53. You know this by heart. But you know what? I was reading this the other day. I said, I want to give this to I want to put it in the NLT. In the NLT, Isaiah the prophet saw. And then I'm going to have you go with me to a journey of Jesus' crucifixion. Isaiah 53, verse 3 in the NLT says this. He was, a, he was despised and rejected. Oh, come on. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He turned, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Look, watch this. Keep going. Yet, it was our weakness that he carried. Come on. It was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Our sorrows weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. That's what we thought. We thought all this stuff is happening because there's something wrong with Jesus. Look at the next verse. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. And he was beaten so we could be whole. My God. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Next verse, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Does that sound like some of us today? 
Yet the Lord has laid upon Jesus the sins of us all. This is the prophet seeing a hundred, hundreds of years in advance what would happen to the Messiah. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as his sheep was silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Keep going. Unjustly condemned. Oh, God. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Watch this, guys. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan. Watch this. I I cried when I read this. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Why? Yet, watch this, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will make many descendants and he will enjoy long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Look at the last verse here. Look at it. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Woo! When he sees all that was accomplished or will be accomplished because of his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, he's talking about Jesus now, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. Glory to God. Do you realize that this, my friends, is the journey of the cross? I want you to look at me now. I'm going to take you through a very graphic and specific journey and to let you know that this is one thing that you can't turn away from because he did it for you and I. What kept him dragging, what kept him going was one day he closed his eyes and he saw Susie, he saw John, he saw George, he saw, he saw Johnny, he saw Donnie, he saw Stephanie. He saw us coming to the Lord and he continued. Now I want you to see now the physical. I talked about the emotional. Now the physical abuse that Jesus did to purchase your salvation it was this. As they got him down, I want you to see this now. And as they're getting to him to the, the, the thing, everything that Jesus did, I want you to put that slide up. Everything that happened to Jesus was a direct symbolism of what he restored to us. That should have said amen right there. Everything that happened to Jesus, look at it on the screen, that they did to Jesus is spiritually symbolic of what he restored to us. Say that with me. Everything that happened to Jesus is spiritually symbolic of what he restored to me. <laughs> so what happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. And each one of them, I'm going to explain the symbolism of restoration. Are you ready? After the emotional heartbreak, they took Jesus and they began to punch him, our God, our Jesus. Punch him in the face, spit upon him, spit upon him to the point where he was unrecognizable. The Bible says in Isaiah 52, that he was marred more than any man. That means his face was, the, was two sides of a normal human being because they kept punching and spitting on the king of glory. What they don't know is that he could have just blinked and the breath, their breath would have stopped breathing. But he allowed it and they were punching God. Could you imagine that? He allowed it to happen because of this season that, you're, that we're in called Resurrection Sunday to purchase our salvation. And they punched him and they spat upon him. You know what that's restored from? That restores our dignity. You know why? I'm going to give you symbolism. The punching of the face, 
the spitting on you. You know why it restores your, di- your dignity? Because punching and spitting is a sign of dishonor. And so when he allowed those things to happen, he was purchasing our dignity for humanity again. And he allowed the punches and he allowed the spit. And he says, I will take on the shame that you have so you won't have it anymore. And I'm going to restore while they're punching me. I'm restoring your dignity and your honor for humanity. As, 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 as they were doing this to Jesus, the next thing they did to him, you know what they did, guys? Watch this. They plucked out his beard. In Isaiah, it says that they plucked his beard out. There was no shaving cream to pluck it out. They grabbed the beard of Jesus, our Savior, and plucked it out where where gushes of blood were coming out of his face, already swollen, and they took the beard and they plucked it out. You know what that restored? That restores our identity. Hallelujah. You know why? Because in Jewish times, you know what was symbolic of manhood? A person's beard, a man's beard. A man's, a Jewish man's beard in the Old Testament was symbolic of manhood. And when they ripped out his beard, he was saying, I'm restoring manhood. I'm restoring womanhood. I'm restoring the identity. Let me tell you something. Some of you guys have been here and you may have been violated and you may have been, uh, felt like you were not restored when you were younger and maybe your womanhood was taken away from you and maybe your manhood was taken away from you but the beard of Jesus when they were ripping and the cross is guaranteed that he's restoring your identity back. He's restoring your manhood. He could do it. Don't think that your manhood is stripped away. Don't think that your womanhood is impossible to get back. Why? Because he restored our identity at the journey of the cross. Someone say amen. The beard was symbolic of manhood. And though he were, they were ripping it out. And they plucked his beard out. Now I want you to see something. This is going to be a little graphic here. Now I want you to, to see with the eyes of the spirit what happened after they did that. They took Jesus. And they tied him to two posts. And as they tied him, his back, they, they took everything off so that... He could be bare. And the Bible says that he began to get scourged by whips. Now, these whips were not some of the things that you and I know that like whips of like Indiana Jones whips. It wasn't the whip with just leather striking. It was called a cat of nine tails. And the cat of nine tails back in those days had sharp no effect on it. It had glass at the end of it. It had uh, uh, sharp metal points to it. It had nails from other objects. And it was sewn and weaved into the fabric of the whip so that every time that they would whip the victim, it would latch on to the skin and come out and expose the veins and expose the body, expose the ribs, and and expose sometimes a lot of the blood vessels and organs. I know that sounds gross but that's what happened and many people and he was he was whipped and many historians say that it was 39 times now it doesn't say he was whipped 39 times in the new testament it doesn't say that but paul the apostle said 33 times i was ripped whipped 39 times scorched so you have to go by tradition and assume that jesus was scorched 39 times and you know what that restored that restored our healing You know why? Because the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. But do you want to know something significant? It was known in those days that in those days there were probably around 39 known diseases known to man. Now we know that there was probably more, but there was probably 39 known diseases and sicknesses known to man. So every time that Jesus was being whipped, he was saying, I can imagine, leukemia is being healed, cancer is being healed, arthritis is being healed, blood disorder is being healed. 
Every single slash, he was allowing it because he was like, that's one more sickness that I have defeated by my body, by my sacrifice. Cancer, leprosy, AIDS, gone. Each time, and the, Bible's, the Bible mentions that, that he was scourged so bad that his back was unrecognizable. It was like, it was like hamburger meat. It was so, I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be funny, but what I'm saying is it was not just Jesus kind of, you know those movies that Jesus kind of like, and, and he has nothing, like just no, no blood, nothing, no, no, no. He was full of blood. Those lashes was restoring our healing. I have got news, news for you today. If you have any sickness in your body, Jesus, our king, rose, allowed his back to be tore up because of his stripes you and I are healed. 39 known diseases those days and 39 slashes filled with sharpness and bone. And he tore his flesh up and it restored our healing. Oh God, there's news. There's good news for every sick person that not only by his stripes you were healed, by his stripes you are healed. How good is God, guys? How good is our king? Then they took him. Now I want you to see this. After they whipped him, he was left for dead. Blood was gushing out. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt a real crown of thorns. I have felt a real crown of thorns, and just by touching it, I pierced my finger, and blood came out just by passing it around. It was woven by sharp two to three inch reeds, and it was very sturdy, and it was very sharp. And they took that, watch this, they took that crown of thorns, and they beat it on his head with a reed. That means it crushed, and it, and it stuck, and it ingrained into the temple area, and it got stuck in there where all the arteries are at, and they were gushing out, and he was in constant torture from the crown of thorns. And you know what's, what's symbolic of what he restored to the crown of thorns? He restored a renewed mind. And a healthy mind. Why do you say that? Because the crown of thorns was on his head. And by him allowing the crown of thorns to be on his head, what he was saying is, I am renewing the mind with the blood that is on my head. And Golgotha means the what? Place of the skull. They took Jesus to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. Can I say something to you? Jesus even restored your mind. When Jesus came to the demoniac and he, and he healed the legion, we talked about legion, 6,000 demons and one dude. The Bible says that after he got delivered and the demon came out, the people were freaking out because he was in his right mind. That's a funny joke to me. You want to freak people out? You want to freak people out? Get a crazy guy that no counselor could, 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 could counsel. Get a crazy man, addicted man that no person could counsel. And let him get an encounter with Jesus. And he'll, everybody will freak out because now they'll be in their right mind. They say, Pastor George couldn't handle it. That pastor couldn't handle it. That, that counselor couldn't handle it. But Jesus looked at that demoniac and said, he's free. And he was in his right mind. And people were like, this is crazy. His head was swollen twice the size. I need the worship team to come up, please. His back was hamburger meat. His back was bloodied, couldn't even see because of the stripes. His head was swollen two times the size of a normal human being. And the crown of thorns restored 
our mind. Look at me. Look at me, church. Look at me. This is, I'm almost closing here. And when they did that, and they put the crown of thorns on him, the next thing they did, now I want you to see this, is they carried a heavy wooden cross. Look at me. Look at me. That cross that Jesus bore, historians say that it was about 0. 0.6, 0. 0.5, or 0.6 miles from the place that he first got the cross beam and walked uphill. All, remember, the scourging already happened. The crown of thorns were already on him. He was in intense agony, and he had to carry a beam that was about 100 pounds. Historians say that this wooden beam was about 100 pounds. And imagine you have 39 lashes that your back has been pierced and lashed by glass, sharpened nails, ripping your entire back apart. And he put and he restored. You know what that was restoring of? He restored the promise to carry our burdens and carry our weight. I want you to put that picture up, Zach, of Jesus bearing that cross. Jesus looked at humanity, and he was bearing that cross for you and I. I want you to look at that. I want you to look at that and don't turn away. Because this is what our God did for us. This is what our God did. Our God picked up a cross and hiked uphill 0.6 miles, 0.5 miles up to Golgotha, listen, where he was about to get crucified. And our God did this in pain. And you know what the reality of this is? The reality of this is that what you don't see, because this is in the picture, is that wooden beam had splinters on it. So everything, every walk that he would get, those splinters would go into his already exposed back that was exposing the bone and was exposing blood. And he walked. The Bible says that he lost so much fluid. So you got to put the pieces together. He lost so much fluid that he could no longer complete the journey. You say, what? It's true. Because there's a man named Simon who was looking and they said, hey, you, help him bear the, carry the cross because it's too heavy for him right now. He's lost so much blood. And Simon helped him. He said, okay, I'm going to help Jesus carry his cross to the place of crucifixion. Look at me. Jesus was a carpenter. Do you know I like to use my imagination? He was a carpenter, and he probably built crosses. He probably built all these wooden things. Could you imagine living your life, building the very thing that was going to kill you? He's building crosses. And now, Jesus, our God, after he got whipped, carried that cross uphill to a place called Golgotha. And that's symbolic of God promising to restore carrying your burdens for you and I. You know what that means? That means that in the epistles, it says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Those of you who are weak and heavy laden, he said, come to me. All of you are weak and you're burdened and you're heavy laden. I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Take a look at that picture. Next time you complain about your burdens, take a look at that. Next time we complain about the burdens that we carry, look at what he carried for us. 
Next time you complain about your life is miserable, look at that picture and see what great love he had to continue. What drove him? It wasn't his strength. It was his love. It was his love for you and I that said, I got to keep going. Because if I could just make it to the cross, the devil's finished. If I could just make it there. Then, the ultimate thing that happened, and I want you to see this. They took nails that historians say was about seven inches, iron nails, that were seven inches to nine inches long. And they pierced his wrist. Let me tell you why it's wrist. Because in the Old Covenant and in the Bible times, wrist and hands were symbolically used in the same terminology. Medically speaking, it is impossible to be crucified with your hands and stay on the cross because the, the muscles on the hands are so thin that even medical scientists say that as they study the cross, that even though pictures reveal that he was crucified right here in his hands, if he was crucified in his hands, it would slip, the, the, the weight of a, of, a, of a man would slip that thing right off of him. So you know what? It was even worse. There's a hole right between the wrists, right here, right where all the nerves are, right where the endings are, right where, if, if, if you go to massage therapists that either massage your feet or they massage your wrist, why? Because that is the most sensitive place where all the nerves are at. And they took nails and they pierced his wrist through on a wooden beam. The agony that came to that. And they took his other wrist and he began to pound that nail through that wrist. Then the worst thing of all, they took two feet together. I get, I get crazy if I just bump my toe on the couch. They took two feet and they drove that nail through one foot, out the other, into the other one, and through into the wooden beam until Jesus was up there. And that was restoring our salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And this is what it looked like. Put it up there, Zach. And as he's hanging there, the weight of that cross for you and I, hanging there for six hours, bugs coming in and eating from the blood that was coming up, birds coming in. And every time he had to take a breath, he had to, because he was down like this, he had to <gasps> scrape his back just to get a breath tearing the back open once again every time he took a breath and he was in agony at the cross and the weight of the world was upon him sorry I got to remove that the weight of the world was upon him watch this and as he's dying he's breathing you know what the Bible says at that time he says Eli Eli lama sabachthani which is translated my God my God why have you forsaken me and he's breathing, and historians and, and medical doctors say that water began to fill his lungs because he died from asphyxiation. Can I tell you something? The, 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 the Roman soldiers, they took the sword, and they pierced his side, and water and blood came out. Do you know that Jesus literally died of a broken heart for humanity? Jesus died for, from a broken heart because re, re, humanity had rejected him. And he was on that cross, and he was in agony. 
and they pierce his side. But I'm closing with this. What you see there, after six or so hours, it didn't stop there. The Bible says the reason why he hung on that cross was because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't the joy in the moment. It was the joy in the future. Let me tell you what the joy is. His joy for enduring the cross was one day everyone in this room will have the opportunity to get saved. That humanity would be saved. He didn't have joy at the moment. But he had joy to know that one day humanity would be saved because of his sacrifice. But I got news for you. He didn't die just there. He rose from the grave. And that man, he rose. And he's not in there. Look at what, and you know what Luke chapter, Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 24 says? Oh, I love it in NLT. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1 says, but early Sunday morning. Look at this. Early Sunday morning, the women went down to the tomb. Look at this. And he went down to the tomb to be prepared, but very, keep going to the next verse. They found that the stone had been rolled away at the entrance, verse 3. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Woo! As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them. Are you ready? Clothed in dazzling robes. Those were angels, verse 5. And they said this. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why? Are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking at those who are supposed to be dead? He watches. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what I told you back in Galilee. Look at what it says. Look at that. That the Son of Man must be portrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on that day. And he would rise again on the third day. You know the victory of the cross is his resurrection, that he nailed your sin on the cross and forgave. But not only that, you know what the cross did? It put to shame the principalities and demonic powers. And because you know what the Bible says in Colossians? Put it up there real quick. Colossians chapter 3, it says this. Chapter 2, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave you of your sins. Watch this. Keep going. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Watch this. Watch this. In this way, woo! I need somebody to get excited with me. He disarmed spiritual principalities and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You know what that means, my friends? That means when Jesus died on the cross, and the reason why he shamed them is because while he was, when he was in the belly of the uh, of the earth for three days, he went to hell and he visited Satan and he visited the demons and he said, "Hey, listen, I got news for you, boys," and all the demons were trembling and all the all of hell was was cold and the devil was like oh my goodness and the lord i can imagine the lord saying hey those keys that you took back from adam they belong to me the keys of death hell and the grave they belong to me guess what i'm back and you thought that you had killed me but here I am, and I'm stripping you away from the power that you have over humanity. I'm stripping you away from the power that you have. It is finished. It is over. I won. And on the back of Satan's head is a nail-pierced footprint on his head. 
because Jesus, the Bible in, in Genesis says this. It says, you, see, say, I mean, the snake, you shall bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So on the back of Satan's head, there's a scar that's a nail foot, nail put, nail pierced footprint on Satan's head because he crushed Satan at the cross. I'm here to tell you, there's nothing too big that you're in that God can't take you out. There's no sin too dark that you're in right now that his blood can't take you out. There's no addiction. There is no reality. There is no bondage. There is no place that you and I can be right now that the blood of Jesus can't get you away from and snatch you out of hell because when he crucified, he said it's not to be continued. He said it is finished. And he said, Father, forgive them because he rose from the dead. I want you today to stand up and give God praise right now. Come on. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.